0: Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. Bobby, I see your face, in, and it's not pixelated.
1: I could touch you if I wanted to, but I don't want to, to be clear. Oh. <laughs> 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 well,
0: that's fine. Uh, speaking of uh, pixelated vision, mm-hmm. have you been like watching anything about the new um, Apple Vision headset?
1: I have not devoted very much time to it. I've seen it. I know what we're talking about, but I've not devoted any time to
0: it. I, I have to admit I've been completely like I I wanna watch every video about okay. about, about it. So, it's so cool.
1: As someone who's not spent a lot of time with it just, just seeing a few ads and has someone who has an Oculus and a few other things in my home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how is it different?
0: I would say that it's different because the uh the pass through Is just, it it appears to be so much better. Mm. And being able to like put a keyboard right in front of you and like really handle like full on workflow uh, in full augmented reality. Um, But it's, it's, so it's really interesting. I don't, I'm never gonna buy it because. I, it would be dumb. What, yeah, that's What I was say. Cool. Why do I
1: need to work in an augmented reality? I, Why can't I work in just reality?
0: I don't need to. And I think that's, that to me is what's crazy is that people are going to be buying this as, as consumers probably just for fun or because they're Apple fanboys, which I am, I, I am an too. Apple fanboy. I mean, I just, I just am yeah. R- right. I mean, so, um, so there's that. But, uh, I think that the, uh, I think that the implications in the medical field mm-hmm. for technology like this yeah. are, are pretty incredible. People try to make... I mean, we've had Nobu on... Who was talking about using an Oculus for for walkthroughs and all that? Bleah. Yeah, that's... I'm sorry, I don't really see any uh, no. a- anything in in our field for that. But I think that it is totally game changing technology for people in certain trades. That I mean, it'd be be pretty amazing.
1: No, the, the the medical field makes perfect sense, and I know that you know some people have you know experienced this. We actually experienced it for the first time about this time last year. Uh, my child needed to see a specialist with Children's Mercy. And when I called in, they said, you know what? We have a branch in you know, the St. Jo- Joe in the Mosaic Hospital that we have there. We actually have a little branch office. You can just go there. You don't have to come all the way down to Kansas City to Children's Mercy. And I was like, that's amazing. And then we get there, and it was a doctor on a Segway. I mean, it was the— it was the iPad on a Segway was the doctor. Oh like gosh. we were not actually meeting face to face with the doctor Um they needed to do medical tests on him. So they came in, had a nurse come into the room and do those. But the entire interaction with the doctor was all done i on an iPad, but in a hospital, not yeah. like we were doing a Zoom telemed from home. I was like, why couldn't we have just stayed it?
0: <laughs> but the professional could be there yeah. for you. And, and right? I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh. I don't know. It's really interesting. I don't know why I thought to bring that up. No, oh, I think it's fabulous. I remember what it was. It's the problem with it. This is the negative feedback is as you're trying to look at something close up, mm-hmm. you can't really because it's pixelated. Oh. <laughs> Even though it's like the most incredible screen ever, supposedly. like It starts you know, getting pixelated. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can do. There's yeah. still cameras and it's still, you know, a monitor in your eye. So, anyway. Uh, my pretty eyesight's dope. going so
1: bad anyway. So, so this podcast is coming out very strategically right before the Super Bowl. Oh my gosh. We're back in it.
0: So crazy. We got
1: Tay-Tay on our side this time.
0: We do, we do. which is pretty
1: awesome. It is kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, and everybody in the country hates us right now. We are <laughs> yeah. we are the we're new the Patriots. Patriots and I'm like, right. "How are we the Patriots? We're we're the Chiefs. It's we're fine. We're in the center of the country. Everybody loves us." <laughs> but they don't love us anymore.
0: They don't. But- we're we're no longer the Cinderella story um and I I'm it's actually amazing that we held on to any affection from anybody for as long as we did. It's, yeah, you know, it's true. They should have hated us last year too, and we were getting there. Mm-hmm. But now it's just full on. You, hatred. you threw Taylor
1: in the stadium, and now showing her on TV, and it's just like if they weren't gonna hate us just because of our team, now they hate us because of that. And it's oh, like
0: those people suck. that are do. mad about that. That I, pisses me off. It's so Sorry.
1: frustrating. No, no, no. Yeah.
0: Do I get a ready e for saying piss? Amber, I think, no, I think that word's okay. okay. You can say it. Fine. You're just gonna piss, say it like piss, seven times. <laughs> you are just going <laughs> Amber didn't like that much though. <laughs>
1: Sorry. But it does. It's yeah. not cool. No, I'm She's excited. Just trying to watch a game. I know. And then the other thing is not only are we right before the Super Bowl with this podcast episode, we are right before Valentine's Day. Oh. Are you doing anything special for Sarah? Anything special for your little girls?
0: <laughs> God, this is so far away. But it, I know it's not. But By it the way, like everyone, so
1: it is like 10 days away from when we're recording this. So <laughs> it's not so far away. But for a man it is.
0: I don't think about things that far in advance at all. I uh, Does I'll, Sarah I'll listen work to this podcast? That. No. Okay. Uh, no, she does she she has enough of me. So. Well,
1: after <laughs> after uh, we poked Rob on the last episode, oh it gosh. might be that he might say something to say, Hey Sarah, you need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's true.
0: Now that I know that Yikes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rob Rob did not think that we walked uh, back his, uh, his criticism enough. Yeah, w- podcast, but what's really interesting
1: so. is that when I came in, there was some uh, MLS staff in the hallway and I mentioned it and they were like, we get on him all the time for that. <laughs> and I was like, oh. We didn't need to back it up, so there you go, Rob. Two episodes in a row, you're getting a shout out. We'll see if you listen to this one.
0: Yeah, there you go. This there you go. Did you? Were you only listening because it was the MLS, MLS president and she's your boss? Oh, I'm kidding. That's not really how that works. But yeah, yeah, it's not how that works.
1: So, <laughs> so okay. So you're so you're not necessarily worried about buying things for your daughters because your your wife will take care of Valentine's Day. See, I'm I'm at the age now with my son that I have to take care of not only buying him things but his girlfriend. Things oh. and he's in fifth grade. Oh man! Yeah,
0: I remember what I got. Uh, the girls that I had crushes on in fifth grade. We didn't. There wasn't really like a fifth grade boyfriend girlfriend thing back right. when I was in fifth grade. I feel mm-hmm. like that's fairly uh, a fairly new thing. But I got three girls. <laughs> that's So bad. I got three different girls. Oh, Lord. anklets, ankle bracelets with like charms on them. <laughs>
1: Because you liked all three of them? Yeah. You were a player in fifth grade? (laughs) Oh, Sarah has to listen to this episode now.
0: It's true. I remember my my parents thought it was hilarious, but but yeah. So, ankle bracelets. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Interesting. (laughs)
0: So hard. Alex is narrowing his options down pretty far. What are you having to get this this one girl?
1: Well, this one girl, she likes to watch TikTok, and she's gotten into um Why are beauty? fifth graders watching TikTok? I don't know. I don't even have to. I only watch TikTok when people send them to me, but I always watch them. But it's like I refuse to go. I just mm. And it's not because I'm worried about China being on my phone and all the other things. I just don't it's need addictive. another. Yeah, exactly. I don't addictive. need another rabbit hole to waste time on because playing Candy Crush at night wastes enough time.
0: Oh my god!
1: It's bad. I'm sorry. Anywho, <laughs> she's really into the the Drunk Elephant uh, skincare line, which is a really expensive skincare line, especially for someone who's 11 years old. So we got her some serum that she's been really wanting <laughs> for <laughs> Valentine's Day. What? She does
0: not need serum, and it's called Drunk Elephant. Drunk
1: Elephant is the brand. You can go Google it after this. It's Sephora. Is it for kids? Is it no? Expensive it's, stuff for adu- for kids? it's for adults. It's for 45 year old women who are trying to improve their skin after not taking care of it for 45 wow. years. Do be. Drastically clear. So I agree to that. I get that ordered. There was some uh, squash mellow, squish mellow, whatever that he wanted for her. I got that. And then he's like, goes to my husband when I was on a work trip and is like, hey, um, Callie wants one of the hot pink Stanley cups that are really popular at Target right now. (laughs) And he thought we could just walk into Target and buy one. Bless his little soul. Um, we ended up ordering one off eBay. So uh, oh most gosh. spoiled fifth grader in the world. Wow. Here's thing: the mom's like, Bobby, stop it. And I was like, listen, I'm never going to have a girl that I can spoil. So this is at least my way of spoiling a girl.
0: <laughs> Look, these ankle bracelets that I got these girls, they were, they were, they, they, the bad part is they all came in a pack. So all, all three in the same pack mm-hmm. and they were probably $30 at the most from Target. So And we spent um, slightly
1: more than that. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Well, do you have a book bit? I do have a book
0: bit. Oh. Do, 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 do. Bobby's book bit.
1: Casey. Did
0: you like the pause? Did
1: I did like, like the pause. The, I was like, yeah. he forgot there's a song. He forgot there's a song. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking in my head. I think Amber thought the same thing too, but I'm not going to. Say things. All right. My book bit this time is The Psychology of Money mm. by Morgan Housel. And it just explore how money moves around in an economy and how personal bias and emotion play into our financial decisions. You know, I actually was just last week, I was in South Dakota teaching my agent financials class and I started it out with whenever I say we're going to teach a financials class, everybody thinks about numbers. And when we think about numbers, we think they're horribly boring. But when we think about money, that's highly emotional. And so my goal during this financials class is that we take some of the boring out of the numbers and some of the emotion out of the, the money part of it to make it cohesive. And we just take that bias and we can understand that these are important numbers and the money supports us in our lives. So the quote from the book that I love is, money's greatest intrinsic value, and this cannot be overstated, is its ability to give you control over your time. Mm. And that's such an important you know, quote because time is money. And um, there we go. So we have three lessons from the book. And the first one is, when it comes to managing your money, it's better to leave greed out of it. And I don't need to go down a rabbit hole with this, but the lesson here is just don't be greedy and learn to be humble. Mm. Now, we all want to make money and we want to make a lot of it because money affords us choices in our life, whether that's to live a lavish lifestyle or whether that's to live uh, comfortably and just pay our bills over time and stock up for a great future. But money also affords us the ability to be charitable if we choose. So... Don't be greedy, be humble, but understand what money can do for you. Uh, Lesson number two, strong emotions such as envy can push you towards making sloppy decisions. So therefore, the emotional factor is one of the most important things you can work on if you would like to become financially independent. Again, that comes back to taking those emotions that we put into that money and what it's doing for us in our life. And finally, lesson three, the experiences we have early on in our life determine our financial decisions. You know, a lot of us lean back on how we were raised financially with our parents. And it's really funny because I was just thinking about this this morning but not connecting it back to this book in any way shape or form. And growing up, my you know, my parents divorced when I was 4 years old. My mom was a top producer in real estate. And while money flowed very could flow very freely through our home, My mom was um, very scarcity based and she spent very little like we always bought always save toilet paper and we recycled aluminum foil even though we didn't need to. On the other side of the curtain, my dad and stepmom, we lived in a single wide mobile home in a trailer park. They both worked in a cardboard factory and by all Um, uh, you know, outside appearances, they didn't have any money. Yet they were the ones that took me on vacation. They were the one that bought me like the really fancy Christmas. Like I had like the first Game Boy and I had the first Nintendo NES system that came out like that was me. And it was such a juxtaposition in my life between the two sides that a lot of that explains where I get really confused sometimes in my life. Um, but those early life uh, life experiences determine those financial decisions. So you need to work on your ability to adapt to trends and destroy the phobia of new ones, even if it contradicts your inner beliefs. And I think hmm. that's one of the things I've had to work really hard to overcome in my lifestyle. So um, it's The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel is our book bit.
0: I like it. Good one.
1: Yep. Uh, we're bringing somebody on to our show today. A two, two-time Boom. guest. Who? Oh, I love this guest. She's a great guest. It's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City, Lindsay Hicks. Uh, she was also on our podcast back in June of 2021. Thick in COVID times. Yeah. I, yeah so we, let, all go, we both let's got a not shirt. not go back then. You had a
0: shirt before me. I did. I have, But then I got one. I have multiple shirts
1: because I taught a class for Habitat for Humanity. So I have like 17 shirts for Habitat because they wow. love me. Wow. Um, But we're having Lindsay on today because she's going to tell us about Habitat's newest project, the Pathway at Heritage Park, which is construction development in Olathe, Kansas. So let's go get Lindsay. All right. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk. We are here with our guest, Lindsay Hicks, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City. Welcome back to our podcast, Lindsay. We're excited to have you and not be over Zoom like we did during COVID.
2: I know. It's exciting to be here in person.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to talk about the pathway at Heritage Park. That's why we brought you on. But give our uh, listeners an update of what's been going on with Habitat since we had you on the podcast of June 2021 uh, to where we are now in
2: February. We're in February. i February. Crazy. February. <laughs> February of 2024. So much has been going on. Obviously, the pathways at Heritage Park... Um, That project has gone through, and we're actually working in a couple of other strategic neighborhoods over in Kansas City, Missouri, in the Lycans neighborhood and the Wendell Phillips neighborhood. When we met back in June uh, of how many years ago, Um, (laughs) we were just kicking off our Wendell Phillips um, neighborhood revitalization project, and that's actually wrapping up now. So just we've done quite a bit of work over there, nearly twenty new construction homes and. Hundreds of um, home repair projects all throughout the metro each and every year. So, mm-hmm. growing and expanding, um, our restores are expanding as well. We opened a new restore over in Lenexa. Uh, so um, please shop or donate your used <laughs> materials there. Um, just overall, just a ton of growth for our organization. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, I have to. I have to. Because you actually brought it up before she came in. You brought up the the T-shirts. Yeah. Yes. And my favorite T-shirt still to wear to this day is Kansas City Needs Affordable Housing. Same. Because when I wear that out when I'm traveling, people stop me. They talk to me. They're like, Kansas City needs affordable housing. Uh, Denver needs affordable housing. I'm like, that's literally the entire point is Mm if us in the Midwest need affordable housing. Everybody in the entire country needs affordable housing. I Actually, I'm really excited because I was just – we're going to finish up the contract here um, in a couple of days. But I was asked to keynote for a conference coming here in November in Kansas City, and it's the principles of affordable housing committees or Mm -hmm. communities is what they're called. And I want to wear that T-shirt on stage (laughs) while I'm doing it, just like you drive home even more of a point that this is such an essential thing that we need affordable housing for our people in our communities. So I just want to – Thank you for that.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> Wear that shirt with pride. I know. And we it all around town. Um, certainly the need for affordable housing is not getting any smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting greater.
1: That's right. And
2: um, we are just looking for innovative solutions so that we can be more impactful in the work that we do. So you being an echo to our voice is extremely yeah. helpful and important, and we appreciate it. Wear that shirt with pride
1: <laughs> every
0: time. Well, Lindsay, talk to us a little bit about Pathway Heritage Park and the um, the journey uh, to get there as well, I know that there were there was some controversy attached to it, <laughs> and I know that the process probably wasn't uh, wasn't easy. So, talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Oh, the journey! Um, it has been a journey. So, uh, a few years ago, I was able to sit on a housing uh, advisory council with United Community Services of Johnson County, and we were really focused on doing a housing study for Johnson County, just to understand what was available um, from a housing stock standpoint for those that were looking. For For affordable housing solutions out of that study came a lot of data as you would assume but also a lot of key points which was yes we have we certainly have a need um, for new housing but also we need to stabilize the market and do uh, critical and and minor home repair projects within the area Uh, one of the other board members that was um, at united community services was pastor kevin scuddy who owns the land Over at Pathway, so uh, their particular church really wanted to have affordable housing uh, within the community, recognizing that um, as a congregation they wanted to give back to the community and to invite all of those that wanted to live there to to do that. And so we sat down. He asked me a lot of hard questions to understand what our intentions were. And um, we recognized really quickly that our missions really aligned with one another and that we were passionate about bringing uh, safe, attainable housing to Johnson County. Uh, We went through iterations of what we could do with that particular land and those parcels. Um, It's about 10 acres total. Two acres will still remain with the church. Eight acres were going to go to us. And so we went through... um, Just several different architectural, you know, high-level concept mapping of of what if we did townhomes? What if we did single-family? What would that look like? And also study just the neighborhood surrounding it and recognize that single-family was really the way to go with um, Pathway. Of course – uh, we seek the support from our county and also from the city, the local Olathe uh, to financially support the project because getting infrastructure dollars on these types of deals mm-hmm. is a huge barrier. I mean, it's not that's, that is the most difficult thing is to get the infrastructure support. Vertical is a little bit more exciting. Everybody wants to see it built. They want to see it come to life. <laughs> uh, but that infrastructure component, is always a hurdle that we as an organization are, are seeking to find alternative funding for. Um, so we went to the county um, and asked them for support because that really would be the indicator that we can do this, um, and they agreed. And then from that, we went into all of the lovely civil engineering with our wonderful partners over at Phelps. But uh, we went through all the engineering, um, plating, and and we had into, we really wanted twenty homes on that land, um, but due to just the topography and the nature of what was happening within that particular area. Uh, we were able to fit 14 single-family homes.
0: That's great, So
2: a lot, uh, to your point of the journey of um, folks having differing opinions on Mm -hmm. it, we'll say. Um, We did. I mean, there was a lot of community engagement, a lot of educating about what is affordable housing. You know, we got so many questions of, how can you put tiny homes on this particular parcel? They're not even going to have, you know, plumbing. It Just all these very... um, I don't even know where it came from. I don't know where this information came from because at Habitat, we're we're like, no, we're building single-family, you know, 1,400 to 2,600 three- to six-bedroom homes, and they're affordable because we offer a 0% interest mortgage. Uh, This is a land trust model, so it really has an affordability factor. Um, So we went through it. There was a lot of nimbyism, a lot of not in my backyard. Um, always. But a lot of support, too, you know, seeing a lot of the support that bubbled up was... Uh, Very encouraging, um, but a lot of community engagement. And uh, we certainly um, are excited to—we had our groundbreaking uh, ceremony on January 8th, and we were excited to see all of the support that we did have there. And, you know, some of the people that were against it are now for it, which is really great. Absolutely. Um, But we're—if anything, we're having a huge influx of folks that are asking, how can I live there? What does that look like? Let me—you know, walk me through the process. So we'll be opening that up to the public pretty soon here.
0: Okay, great, great. So we won't ask you those questions today, then.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can, can if you I? want to. You can <laughs> if you want to. Well,
0: I am curious about price point and um, and maybe the uh, the specifically the target audience for uh, for these fourteen homes.
2: Yeah. So um, the families that we partner with to purchase these homes will be individuals that fall within a certain income range, uh, but they certainly have to have verifiable steady income because we're. We're selling a home to them just like right. any other lender would. They have to be able to make their mortgage payment. Um, and so we go through a whole entire uh, pre and post purchase counseling, um, information sessions, one on one counseling, financial education. Uh, we go through 100 plus hours of that with the potential applicants for this, uh, for all of our neighborhoods, this one included. And um, so so we recognize that and we work one-on-one with these individuals to know you're a good fit for this for this particular neighborhood. You're committed to homeownership. You have a really thorough understanding of what that means, what that looks like. Um, so these are just, you know, amazing families who are working within our communities that want the opportunity to live in Johnson County. And um, we're, we're really excited about, about what that looks like and who we'll be able to partner with on this particular area. I love it. So –
1: just, you know, for anybody that's not heard about this project has no idea what we're talking about um, and just trying to understand a little bit more about it. You mentioned it being in a land trust. So what sort of requirements will be on these um, people when they purchase these properties? And do they have to hold it for so long? Can they resell it? Can they pass it down through the generations? But
2: what does it actually mean to own? Yeah, so the land trust model is is very um, innovative, but it's used all over the country. Several Habitat affiliates are using it all over the country. Uh, a couple of affiliates actually very close to us have been using it for many years. Um, but basically, uh, the homeowners will own the home, they'll own the structure, but they will do a 99-year lease on the land. And so what that allows us to do is that they are paying taxes on the actual structure, um, but we will own the land so that we can create affordability into perpetuity. All of our home buyers will get one hundred percent of their equity so their you know their mortgage payment they'll get one hundred percent of that just like anybody else would um, but we cap because of that land trust model we're able to create a subsidy because of the the land that we own and we then can cap the market appreciation that they earn from the sale They can sell it whenever mm-hmm. they want um, but it allows us to cap that sales price so they'll get twenty five percent of the market appreciation and there's also a um, Within the contract that they sign with with the land trust, uh, there is a restriction on who it is that can purchase that home based yep. on their income guidelines. So the next home buyer will be um, will follow the the guidelines just like anybody else. Yep. you
1: literally answered my next question because I had a feeling that was what you were going to say. Is that there would because mm-hmm. I've seen enough restrictions like that that you can only sell to this particular group and things like that. So I absolutely love that. So, um, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they want to come out and see it or they want to get involved as this project's especially just now starting to take off, how can they get involved in being a part of this?
2: There are so many ways to get involved with this project. I think the most uh, popular request that we've gotten is, how do I build a house? And so that certainly is something that we'll be recruiting a lot of volunteers um, to come out and to build with us. We'll probably do about 12 months of infrastructure here, depending on – we know the scope of work, obviously, uh, but just depending on how contractors line up and and that timing. Um, But once we have vertical construction ready to go, we will need hundreds of volunteers to support the work that we're doing. Uh, So the best way to be informed on this project and also to learn how to get involved, we have a landing page on our website at HabitatKC.org. Just click on Olathe uh, Pathways at Heritage Park. And there are all the different ways that you can support the project, um, whether through volunteering. We have had a lot of folks that have financially supported the project, which is you know, obviously critical for us getting these homes built. Um, So, you know, financial support opportunities are there as well. Um, And then just folks wanting to advocate for it. That's really been a huge, that was so, that was honestly critical um, during, you know, some of the commissioner hearings and city council hearings that we went through. Um, The individuals who educated themselves about the project and really advocated for habitat and for Olathe pathways and for affordable, attainable housing in Johnson County, um, it was just, it was really awesome to see that level of support that we had. Mm-hmm. Love that.
0: So, Lindsay, in your initial study on the need for affordable housing in Johnson County, I'm curious if you have any, uh, anything to share that might be surprising for some of our listeners um, in terms of that need in JOCO.
2: Yeah, I mean there certainly is, you know, up to twenty thousand up to twenty thousand units that potentially are needed of affordable attainable housing. Um, and on top of that, when you think about uh, existing homeowners that are on a fixed income that haven't been able to do life safety upgrades to their home, you know, coming out of the winter season. And granted, we're in what the second we'll, we'll enter the second or third winter of Kansas City here. What in a couple in March, yes. so who yeah. knows? <laughs> uh, but. Um, we had hundreds of calls from individuals who didn't have a furnace, didn't have working water, and so therefore they couldn't, you know, do the things that they needed to, do to be in a safe. We had we were negative fifty degrees. I mean, it right. was yeah, freezing right. uh, with wind chills. So, um, so when you look at, it's not just new. We can't build our way out of this crisis. We also have to stabilize what's existing and to partner with those uh, individuals that either want to age safely in their home or um, simply just. Don't have the means to do some of the, you know, roof replacements, the furnace, HVAC, just some of those critical home repairs that really are needed to to ensure that that house then can go back into our housing stock. Um, and so, it's not just a it's not just a, a one and done, right? It's yeah. um it's going to take a lot of different um, mechanisms for us to address the affordable housing crisis. The other thing I should mention is, we um, we launched a down payment assistance program with uh, Roland Park. And that was really new and something that we had never embarked on before. It was a down payment assistance and a home repair program. And um, the ability for folks to be able to get into homes through that assistance um, is just something that we hope to expand and grow within the metro.
1: You know, I think sometimes we forget how just very lucky we are just in our normal everyday lives. you talk about, you know, it was 30 degrees below zero there for a week and a half. I mean, I didn't have staff even coming into the office just because I don't want them driving in their cars because it was so cold we have people without furnaces, without running water in their homes, and those are just things that we just take for granted that that's a part of a house working. Mm-hmm. Um, but and
0: a lot of us don't realize that it's our it's our neighbors. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's and it's people, a, a lot right. of
1: elderly neighbors too right. who don't even know how to. No one's checking up on them. They don't know how to ask for help. They're just this is where we're at. And I think that sometimes it's the forgotten people in our society that need our help the most. Um, We keep using the term affordable housing, affordable housing. What is affordable housing other than (laughs) it's housing that I can afford?
2: Yeah. So we define uh, internally at Habitat KC, we define affordable housing as when you're spending less than 30 percent of your monthly income on your housing. Um, Right now, one in 10 individuals is spending 50 percent or more of their income on housing, and that's in Kansas City. So, when you think about that, you know, if you're spending 50% or more of your monthly income on housing, how are you affording your subscription medication you need? How are you affording the HVAC or the furnace repair that you need to take care of? You know, there's additional requirements that, you know, if you have small kiddos or family that needs additional resources and help, it's just a really tough spot when that's how much you're putting toward the structure that you're living in. You know, not to mention that a lot of the individuals who are spending 50% or more of their monthly income on housing. Are living in housing that isn't even safe, right? So, um, so that's how we that's how we look at it internally is when you're when you're put in a situation where you're paying thirty percent or less of your of your monthly income, that really allows you to not be uh, cost burdened with housing, and you can make uh, decisions that really change the trajectory of yourself and your family.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, this is. Um I I know I've got friends that are in the Denver area who bought in a – on that land trust model, and they were uh, worried initially about the appreciation cap, and I was – and I referred them to their realtor, and – um and i was really it was really interesting she was all for it and she thought that it it was she was very supportive mm-hmm. of them buying in one of those uh those areas they recently sold it and they were perfectly satisfied with what they got out of it no it didn't appreciate like denver appreciated but they had they had housing yeah. and they were and i think could you speak a little bit to the way that uh realtors um like her um can be partners in making sure that the stigma attached to that appreciation cap isn't something that we need to be, you know, concerned about. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. Or oh, well, maybe can you talk a little bit about what, how much the appreciation cap is?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. So it's funny, we actually studied Denver really closely. Uh, the Habitat affiliate there, the Denver Land Trust actually falls underneath their umbrella. So they have been doing this for quite some time. Uh, and what we learned from them is that they started off at a 25% market appreciation, which is what our particular development will be. Uh, and now they're down to 10% over in Denver because that is where they need to be to create the affordability. Um, so we, we studied it. Uh, we paid attention to it. 25% in Johnson County is, we feel, we feel is extremely um, equitable and also, um recognize that that will allow us to keep it affordable for a long term. Um, the other thing too is, you know, while some of the folks that we partner with, yes, their income does stay the same, a lot of the families that we partner with because now they have this structure and this home they can afford, the trajectory of their financial, you know, pathway or whatever it might be, it it's it increases, they grow and then they find themselves in a in a position where they're financially much more sound and healthy that getting that equity back they're ready to roll. So it's really a stepping stone for them to go into the, the regular market. Um, so to answer your original question, you know, the realtors that support us in this work, especially we had one that she, I tell you, she was at every single meeting advocating for us and her voice was heard and appreciated because there is a misunderstanding with that appreciation, but also with the um, property values and, and all the things that come with it. So to have the realtor uh, network educated and able to articulate. It's, it's, cr- it's critical and it's crucial for us um, in terms of expanding where we can build and what we can do.
0: One question I had, um, in, uh, in this model, is there, uh, is there a continued partnership between the homeowner and Habitat to ensure that the home is maintained or that, uh, that um, any necessary repairs are, reco- are, are conducted up on the sale of the home to the next buyer?
2: Yep. So I always love that question because yes, to answer it is a long-term partnership with Habitat. It's also a long-term partnership with the land trust. And we do have a, it's called a home maintenance fee that's built into the uh, mortgage payment. So we escrow, taxes, insurance, we'll have this homeowner maintenance fee, uh, and then we'll have their mortgage, obviously. Um, and so yes, all of those will be added into the land trust model, which you don't, typically having a purchase. Um, but I always like to say, you know, if, if you were going to go purchase your home in any other neighborhood, nobody would ask you, you know, what's your home maintenance plan? right? And um, so we certainly, while we will have that built in, we certainly feel that our homeowners are well-educated and they are ready for the homeowner um, journey that they're about to embark on. And so we fully support them. And even if that wasn't there, we fully support them in what they're doing and believe in them.
1: Yeah. I awesome. kind of wish every buyer had a home maintenance plan though, just. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that's not a part of the transaction, but it would be really nice if there was cuz sometimes people get in and they don't understand what they're getting themselves into. But with but- this
0: model, it's so important to make sure that the housing stock that you guys are providing remains there for the next buyer. Yeah, it yeah. Has to.
2: yeah, and I think the other thing that we've really been strategically talking about as an organization is um, how do we protect these assets that even aren't in a land trust, so that they are deeded to somebody should anything happen? Because so often, especially in some of the communities that we work in, we have to go through a lot of a lot of work just to get that title cleared and to get it into sure. a place where we can actually start working on it um, and and hand it down to or. Sell it to one of our home buyers. So, so putting that extra um, layer in, so that we're we're truly partnering, not just for today, but preparing for what the future could look like too.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I love that you that you brought up was how this housing and just having secure, safe, stable housing can literally change the trajectory of someone's life mm-hmm. and the life of their children. And even their children after them, I was – it was, again, not thinking about necessarily this conversation we were having here today. But when I was walking my dog this morning, I started thinking about a recent conversation I had with a school board member up in the town that I live in because they're thinking about just completely just redrawing all the lines and just creating complete chaos up there. And one of the things that I was having a conversation was what you're doing to housing values – And she goes – and she basically responded back to me is that, well, I don't care about you rich people that live in that neighborhood. I care about educating all children. And my response back to her was I care about educating all children and I'm not really concerned about what you're doing to housing values in the expensive neighborhoods, which I'm middle class anyways. But I'm more worried about what you're doing – to lower income families who've achieved the American dream of purchasing a home, and now you're stripping them of that value and not understanding the effect you're going to have on their lives. And I think sometimes we forget that what housing can do for people, that mm-hmm. it's part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that housing and shelter of, of our lives. And I think that just what the Habitat does is just such an important organization. And I think sometimes we kind of, we don't forget about you, but we forget about you.
2: Well, keep us front of mind Mm -hmm. Um, especially with this project that certainly is something that we want to um, bring visibility to because we haven't been able to do this in Johnson County for so long Uh, so bringing visibility but also inviting the community to be a part of the work that we're doing it's really an opportunity not just to build but to educate um, and to understand that um, I mean the families that we get to partner with are just incredible Mm -hmm. they're amazing and um, the journey that they that they've gone through to get to where they're at, and um, just the fact that we get to be a small part of that journey, it's it's really important to us. Um, to your point, you know, affordability into perpetuity is huge, and so depending on certain areas that we're building in, since we build all over the metro, uh, thinking about what are ways that we can ensure that there isn't gentrification within the, the neighborhoods and the communities that we're uh, building and partnering, and so. Um, it's, it's definitely at the forefront of our mind and why we put things in place like land trusts or tax abatement. Uh, it's why we put those things into play so that we can ensure these, these families are, are um, successful yeah. in their journey.
1: Well, Lindsay, we're coming up on the end of our time here together, and we want to be respectful of the time we've asked of you to be here with us today. But my last question, I think it was the last question I still had back in 2021, was Mm -hmm. what else? What else do you want our listeners to know? What else should we have asked you? What should we be talking about?
2: I think the biggest thing is that uh, we're continuing to expand the number of homes that we're building, the number of homes that we're repairing all over the metro. And so it's probably the same ask that I have every time I'm on here. It's just there's so many ways to support Habitat. Whether you want to volunteer, whether you want to donate, whether you want to donate to our restores and shop at our restores and keep material out of the landfill, uh, all of those lead to more equitable access to affordable housing across our metro. So uh, just the invitation to join us in that effort um, is really important. And the best way to do that, we actually just launched a new website this week, but to go to HabitatKC.org um, and to educate yourself about all the things that we have going on. Um, and I guess I would be... It would, I, I would be a bad Kansas City and if I didn't say go Chiefs you yeah know, going into week. That's hey. so, uh, go Chiefs we're excited they're a tremendous partner of ours and so um, hopefully come out with a win yes
1: that's right alright thanks Lindsay you're
2: welcome thank you